Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. Today's message, Revival Season 2, where it starts. Where does it start? Where does revival start? We want to kind of explore that this morning and look at that dynamic for our lives. Because there's always a starting place for everything. There's a starting place for the universe, for this earth, for for your life. And, And there's a starting place that we identify with. And really... It actually starts with you allowing God to do what he wants to do in your life. That's where revival begins. Now, we could just end the message right here and go home, okay? But I have more, okay? So, so, but it does start with you, and you need to realize that. So we want to get that out of the way. To start means to come into being, to begin from a particular point in time or space. It could be a sudden movement, a surprise, or an alarm. How many of you woke up to an alarm this morning? That was the start of your day. So the alarm kind of shocks you from a state of being unconscious to a state of consciousness, okay? And so that was your starting place for this day, and hopefully you woke up on the right side of the bed. Now, realize there's there's a quote here. I have a quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He says, as long as we are content... To live without revival, we will. And see, I'm determined in my heart, I don't want to live without revival. I want more of what God has for me because we're living in such a desperate time, a difficult time. There's people in desperate need. And the only answer is God coming on the scene and moving in a great and marvelous way. See... Your story is already written. Mark that down. Your story is already written. I want to direct you to a passage. This is not the theme verse of this month's series, but it's found in Psalms 139, verse 16. And this is the the dialogue of, of the psalmist relating to God and how he sees us as human beings, as how he sees our beginning, how he sees us, and, and the value he places upon our life. But in verse 16 of Psalm 139, the scripture reads, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So according to this passage, your story, my story is already written. It's already written. It's already determined by God. But the sad thing is, so many people don't live out the story that God has written for them. Because we need to discover what that story is. Because God, by revelation, will reveal it to you so you can live out the story that he's, uh, he's written for you. He's written a story for me. He's written a story for you. Do you want to live that out? Or do you want to choose another story with a different outcome? The outcome that God has for the story he's written is glorious. It means relationship with him. It means eternal uh, joy in his presence. Amen? See, everything has a starting point. Everything has a point of origin. Where does revival start? And what is the catalyst that results in revival? Those are some of the things we're going to look at this morning. 
The key verse, if you have your Bibles, you can look with me at Psalms 85, verse 6. And this is the cry of the psalmist for revival in Psalms 85, 6. He says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, when I, when I read that, I think about, okay, they, the psalmist must have experienced a revival in his life at one time, at one point. But now he's come to a place maybe where things have been dry, maybe there's difficulty, maybe there's challenges, maybe his relationship with God has just become nominal, routine. And he begins to recognize that, and then he cries out, God, send revival again. Revive us again. We need a revival. Okay? Now, this is, we see, the heart cry of revival. The psalmist's prayer was a confession of need. And it's usually when people feel need that they pray. Ever notice that? People, you know, it's interesting, and, and we're going to pray a little bit for Texas and those victims and those that have been affected by Hurricane Harvey. But you see a lot, even in the news, clips of people praying, people talking about God's intervention. People begin to reach out and cry out to God in the time of need. But just to wait till you have a need to pray, it shouldn't be that way. We should be crying out to God even when we don't have a need because we want to draw closer in relationship with Him and engage and encounter His presence in our life in a greater and more profound way. Okay? And so... There's a need to pray for revival. And, and so we're starting this month with that in mind. We're going to begin to pray. I want you to commit time every day to pray for revival and pray for these meetings coming up with Isaiah Saldivar, September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Clear your schedule because I believe God's going to meet us. When you set priorities right, God will meet you, Okay. And so as, a, as, a, as individuals and as a corporate body, I believe God wants to do something very significant in this place. So we want to take a moment and pray. And, and as we do, realize that where there's no heartfelt, intense prayer, there will be no revival. Revival often rises and falls upon prayer. The president has announced today, declared today to be a day of prayer for those affected by Hurricane Harvey. More than, I, the last count I heard last night was 43 dead, uh, 45,000 people in shelters, 136,000 structures were flooded. This is a wake of devastation that has not been seen at this level. The reports of rain being between 40 to 50 inches, when you think about that quantity, of that amount of rain. In the state of Wisconsin, our average annual rainfall is about 33 inches, maybe to 36, somewhere in that range. That's a lot of rain in, in one storm to do a lot of damage and devastation. So we want to pray, and, and you can use the app and give online above and beyond your regular giving so that we as refuge can make a difference. And we're supporting a local ministry that's going down there. If you want to be part of that team, Contact us. We can put you on the bus if you're available and have time to go down there and be part of a relief effort. Heavenly Father, we pray as the psalmist prayed, asking you for revival. Revive us again, Lord God. We need revival in this land. People are hurting. People are helpless and hopeless. 
to deal with life circumstances apart from you. And so, God, as a church, we cry out to you and we ask that you revive us. Revive us. We might think we're okay with you, but we don't want to just be okay. Father, we want to be radically changed by your power, by your anointing, by your presence. In Jesus' name. And Father, we lift up the state of Texas and Louisiana, those affected by this devastating storm. And we pray, Father, for continued relief from throughout the world. We thank you for ministries and organization and people, Father, responding in this hour to this crisis. We thank you for the outpouring of love and finances and resources to make a difference that none would be without during this time, that basic needs would be met. Father, for the rebuilding and the, Father, uh, reestablishing of your people in that place, in Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. We realize that revival is God invading our space, getting in our business, and dealing with our stuff. Sometimes we don't want God to mess with our lives. Sometimes we want God to be the outsider and we only want to access him when we think, okay, I need you, God. You know, we think about during World War II and, and other wars, there were these prayers that were prayed when men's lives were being threatened. They're in, they're in the trench. They're in the foxhole. And they begin to cry out to God, God, if you get me home, if you get me through this, I'll serve you. But how often do we as Christians pray that kind of prayer when in crisis, and then once the crisis is over, we forget the prayer we prayed. And we don't move out and take seriously the commitment we made in the time of desperation in our life. And so I, I'm challenging you with that. You know, don't, don't just be a foxhole prayer. Only pray when you're in need or in crisis. But even if you are only a foxhole prayer, then follow through on the commitment you pray to God in that moment. Now, revival, we understand, has occurred throughout history, impacting generations. Yet, in the day we're living in, we're in desperate need of a revival. Revival occurs in the hearts of those who recognize a need to change, resulting in a life that's transformed by Jesus Christ, and he is the transformer of our lives. See, the need is in our own lives. We need revival in our own lives because we may be powerless against temptation, full of compromise and even complacent? Is our testimony ineffective? Is our prayer life weak? Revival is what we personally need. The need is also in the church. The church needs revival. Churches aren't what they could be and what they should be. Some churches have compromised. Some churches are dry and dead. And there's no life, there's no people getting saved, there's no movement of God in those churches that is stirring the hearts of people and impacting the community. So only revival can change this condition. And then we need, the need for revival is, is in the outside world. Multitudes are without God and have no hope in this world. Ephesians 2.12 says we were without, at one time, without hope in this world. And then Jesus came and saved us. The fact is, when the church is revived, then the world will be reached. When the church is revived, the world will be reached. And so that's why God first deals with us. He deals with the church. 
so that when we begin to allow God to do what he wants to do in us, then he'll do through us something that can impact the world. So what is revival? What does it look like? Is it just attending a three-day revival meeting? That's one thing. But that's not revival. Revival is not just a three-day meeting at church. It's what happens in the hearts of the people that are at those meetings. So that's what we need to focus on. Revival is restoring something to life that is dead or dying. So it's reviving it. You know, if you practice CPR, if you're bringing somebody out of, if they're out, you know, that's, you're bringing them back. You're bringing them to a state of consciousness. See, revival is wherever the presence of God goes and comes in the manifestation to impact the human heart. That's revival. Wherever God's presence begins to rest and manifest to bring change. See, I, I could sense the strong presence of God in this church today during the worship. And you know, sometimes you can grow kind of accustomed, oh, this is God's presence, isn't it wonderful? But today it seemed to be at a whole nother level because I believe God's about to do something. And I believe Jesus is excited because he's found a people that is hungry for him, a people that don't want just church as a status symbol. They don't want just church to fulfill an obligation. They don't want church just so they can feel good about themselves. They want a church where they can be challenged, engaged, and empowered and equipped so they can do what God's called us to do. So, amen. Revival is to be awakened and restored to right relationship with our Creator. It's getting things in order. To experience His love, His mercy, and His grace, and His forgiveness that results in a transforming work in our lives. See, revival is an awakening of God's people with the truth of His Word and with the power of His Spirit, where we can begin to see signs and wonders, where we can begin to see sick people healed, those oppressed with demonic influences set free, those in addictions to be set free from the power of addiction. See, Jesus can do that kind of stuff, and he loves to do that kind of stuff when he has opportunity and a chance. See, revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. Revival is personal, and revival is corporate. It's in a corporate and private encounter with Jesus. It's acknowledging and confessing and repenting and turning from sin, and not to make excuses for it, or to justify it or appease it. So often we try to justify it, saying, well, everyone's doing it. Or, well, you know, this is just my weakness. Well, God wants to make your weakness his strength. He wants to give you victory over your weaknesses. He doesn't want weakness to rule your life, to dominate your life. Because by his power we can overcome every sin, every addiction. Amen. So... I believe the world is waiting to see. This is a quote by Edward Hinson. He says, The world is waiting to see whether professed Christians are serious about their relationship to the living God. How serious are you in your relationship with God? And I believe that God is an expert in revival. He's in the business of reviving, restoring, renewing, returning, bringing back, and fixing what's broken. He's in that kind of business. And see, all of us qualify because we have something that needs to be restored, fixed. We have some work that needs to be done in our life because we're all a mess without him. Amen? 
Now, some messes are more neater than others or organized than others. Did you ever see an organized mess? Yeah, look in my office. You'll find an organized mess in there, you know. And, um, and I won't speak for Pastor Deb, but hers is also an organized mess. But maybe hers is a little more tidy than mine, okay. So, anyway, revival is about God's presence. And I have a scripture for you before we get into our three points. And it's Acts Chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Revival is about God's presence. In Acts chapter 13, and this is when the apostle Peter got up and preached, and he had quite the attendance, that service, and he gives out a call for repentance. Starts out in verse 19 saying, Repent, therefore, and turn back. And that's what repentance is. This is repentance. You're walking in one direction. You stop, turn around. It's an about face, and you go the other way. You're moving in one direction, and you totally change. Repentance is about changing. It's changing directions. It's changing your heart. It's changing your focus. It's changing what you speak out of your mouth. It's changing who you hang with, what you do with your time. It's all about change. Repentance is all about change. It says, repent, therefore, and turn back. Notice that your sins may be blotted out. Now, what's interesting about that, they're blotted out. In other words, they're totally eradicated. They're erased. They're removed. So there'll never be something that you will face again when God gets his hand on it. Okay? That your sins may be blotted out. Now, notice the outcome. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Jesus is the Christ appointed for you. So revival is about the presence of God, where he sends Jesus to you. Now, you could say, see that as, oh, this is talking about his return to the earth. Well, yes, I believe it's in reference to that. But I also believe it's in reference to Jesus coming to right where you're at and revealing and manifesting himself to you. Because Jesus is personal, he's real, he's relational, and you can know him, you can experience him. You know, you can be part of a, of a religion and know about him, but you can know him personally when you're in relationship with him. He's all about relationship. What's interesting, I did a little research in the year 1970, Asbury College in Kentucky, there's something that occurred in a chapel service on one Tuesday morning. It seemed like a typical day. The students assembled in the chapel at this theologian seminary. And they started the service. They had some praise and worship. And God moved upon one student to go up and make a confession of what God was dealing with their life. The Spirit of God fell upon that chapel service. And normally it would go 30 minutes. It kept going, kept going. And 7 o'clock that evening, people were still pouring in, coming, and confessing their sins and crying out to God. The presence of God became so real. That meeting that day broke out in a massive revival 
1970. You can do the research on it. And it was such, of such magnitude that all somebody would have to say is tell about what was happening in that place, in Asbury, on that campus, and it would break out on campuses all across the nation. And so people were getting saved. And, and if, if you look back, and, and there's a documentary on it on YouTube, you'll find these people that were there, how they speak of the impact it made in their life years and years later, and the revival and what it caused in the communities and the universities around the country. So Asbury College Revival, check it out. And I believe uh, there's so many that you can do research on to see what God did when he came to visit a church, when he came to visit a group of people that were hungry, searching, and looking for him. So my three points today I'm sharing in the context of revival. In fact, before I share my three points, a question you might say, I don't need to really ask this, but I do. You need to answer it for yourself. Do you see a need for revival? Do you see a need for revival in this nation? Do you see a need for revival in this church, in this community? See, until we see a need for it, we won't ever get to the place where we experience it, okay? So, as we look at these three points, in the context of revival number one, this all has to do with change, okay? Recognize the need to change. You need to recognize the need to change. See, most people know they need to change when conviction comes. But that's not where it stops. It stops. We can't stop short at just seeing it as a need to change. See, King Agrippa is one biblical example of somebody who recognized the need to change. But he didn't change, even though he recognized the need to change. In Acts chapter 26, Paul makes his defense as he stands before King Agrippa in a trial, and he uses the opportunity to preach the gospel. Look at that. Apostle Paul, any opportunity you gave him, any place you put him before a crowd of people, he was going to seize that opportunity to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus, to talk about repentance. And so he did exactly that with King Agrippa. He preached Jesus, he shared the gospel, and I believe a strong conviction came upon the king. Yet Agrippa saw himself as a great king. He was a friend of Caesar and a friend of Rome, but he was full of pride and intellectual arrogance. He was a tough, one of those tough guys to reach. He had position, he had prestige, he had political it was under political pressure, and he was a political force. His sinful lifestyle were all things that kept him from change because he liked the way things were, and he wasn't ready for radical change. In Acts chapter 26, verses 28 through 29, the Scripture reads, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul's response, verse 29, and Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
In other words, you say, yeah, I want everybody to become a Christian. I want everybody to get saved except for this imprisonment, to, to have freedom in Christ. And so there's a whole lot more we could say about King Agrippa, but he, although recognized the need to change, he didn't. He stopped short. Number two, in the context of revival, of revival, we need to acquire the desire to change. See, you go from need to desire. And in fact, when you do this, you begin to recognize that the need has to become something more than a need. It's something you act upon. Your recognition should result in desire. Judas was a disciple, even followed Jesus, but never let his heart be changed. He saw the need to change. He had the desire to change, but he stopped short. And you know the story about Judas. See, you must decide, do you want to be free from what's holding you back? Do you want to be free? Obviously, Judas was holding on to things that he wasn't willing to let go. His greed, his deceptive ways, his motive for following Jesus was, was misaligned. He had other motives. He, he was a thief. He was a deceiver. But he wanted the association with Jesus because of how it made him look spiritually. Okay? So, Judas Iscariot, we ask the question, what are you willing, up, willing to give up in order to gain? Judas followed Jesus but betrayed him in the end. His problem, he didn't really want to change. I mean, he didn't follow through. Even at the Last Supper, a very intimate time with the disciples, and Jesus said, one of you here is going to betray me. He even had the audacity to ask the question, is it I? Can you imagine Jesus looking into the face of the one that would betray him? With love, knowing full well what he was going to do. Judas, knowing full well what he was about to do in that moment, in his betrayal. And then he left. He walked out, so he left service early. One of the most important services at that time, the Last Supper, because of the intimate connection with Jesus and what he was doing, Judas left because he thought his business was more important. Number three, in the context of revival, you need to let change happen. You need to let change happen. And then the transformation begins. It's cooperation. And for the example here, we see the case of the prodigal son. Now, you know that story. You've probably heard it well. In Luke chapter 15, the narrated story is written. And in verse 17 in Luke 15, we see that this young man after wasting his inheritance and rebellious living and walking away from God and the things of God and, and the, the authority of his father who loved him 
and tried to lead him and guide him and raise him in the way he should go, he finally recognized his need to change. Didn't stop there. He also desired to change. And so he then changed. And we see it in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. And when he came to himself, you need to come to yourself sometimes. You need to wake up because you may not be in your right mind. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know, you just might not be in your right mind. <laughs> you might not be in your right mind. But when you come to yourself, it's like your eyes are open and you can see. And he was in a pig pen. He said, what am I doing in this pig pen? How did I get here? Well, he realized, okay. I'm finally waking up. Now I'm finally remembering what my dad tried to teach me that I ignored. And I just said, I don't want to hear this stuff. He walked away all that God had for him. And now he's in the pig pen. And then it goes on to say, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He came to himself and he recognized that he had sinned, that he needed to repent, that he needed to return to his father in whatever condition he was in. Because he knew his father would accept him in verse 24, Luke 15, 24. <coughs> it says, for this, my son was dead. This is the father's response after he returned. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Wow. Isn't that profound? I have one more verse before we bring this to a close. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And I'm going to be reading this from the New Life version of the Bible. Because I believe that this... Uh, summarizes the change that God wants to do in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, the heart is free where the Spirit of the Lord is. I'm going to pause there for a moment. God moves by His Spirit. And when His Spirit begins to move, freedom comes. Freedom from bondages, freedom from lies, freedom from sin, freedom from depression, freedom from anything that is opposed to the nature of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We want to welcome the Spirit of God in these last moments in our gathering together here today to move among us, to bring freedom to those whose lives are struggling, being challenged, or maybe you're in just pure bondage and you need freedom in your life. It goes on to say in this passage, the Lord is the Spirit. Verse 18, all of us, so that's all of us, that includes you, that includes me, that includes the person sitting next to you, all of us, all of us, all of us with no covering on our faces. What does that mean? 
we cover up so much in our life. God is wanting us to take the cover off. God is wanting us to come and lay everything open before Him. To bear our soul, to, to just open our hearts, to just say, God, I'm not going to hide anything from you anymore. I'm not going to hold anything back from you anymore. But I want everything that you have for me. With no covering on our faces, now, show the shining greatness of the Lord as in a mirror. See, God wants to reflect something of His nature, of His image, into your life. But for that to happen, you have to lift the cover. And notice it goes on to say, all the time we are being changed. All the time we are being changed. See, change is a process. It's continual. We're changed to look like Him with more and more of His shining greatness. The change is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to let the Spirit of the Lord change you? Are you willing to let Him reflect the glory of God into your life so that you can be transformed? So that you can be changed more and more into His image? That's the objective of God of what He wants to do in our life. He doesn't want us to look different from Him. He wants us to reflect Him. See, so we see in these three points this morning, there's recognition to change. There's acquisition and outcome. In other words, stop, look, and listen. Because God is about to change us. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.